This chapter forms part of episode 40 of the Education Research Reading Room podcast on online learning. Before listening, I highly recommend that you listen to the chapter introduction in order to get a sense of what's in this chapter as well as each of the other six. And if you enjoy this chapter, please share it with friends and colleagues. Chapter 5, Bianca Lee Rossi, an EAL teacher's perspective on online teaching. Bianca is an English and EAL teacher who has been working at an IB school in South Korea for almost two years now. She teaches English language acquisition to grade 7 and grade 10, and English language and literature to grade 7. Bianca is also the grade 7 year level coordinator and is passionate about student well-being. I also had the absolute pleasure of teaching with Bianca in Melbourne, Australia, a few years ago. Bianca Lirossi, welcome to the Education Research Reading Room. Thank you, Ollie. It's great to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am, uh, I'm Australian, um, but I'm currently living in South Korea. I live on a beautiful little island called Jeju, and I teach at an IB school for girls. Um, and I've been here for just short of two years. So I'll be coming up to my, my, the end of my two year contract, um, in not so many months. Mm. How long have you been doing this online instruction now? We are going into our third week. We had a two week, um, break. Um, one was planned. And then a second break was uh, brought forward. Um, so I guess we've kind of been in the world of online for five weeks, um, but we've been actively teaching and doing online instruction for f- uh, three weeks now. Next week will be the fourth. Okay, cool. And which, which classes do you teach and how old are your students? Uh, so I teach in the middle school. So I'm an IBMYP English teacher. I teach grade seven English language acquisition or um for those playing at home, just straight EAL, um, as we know it in Australia. Um, I also teach grade seven English language and literature, which I guess is the equivalent of our, um, you know, year seven English. Um, and I also teach uh, grade 10 English language acquisition. Um, I have a fairly light load because I coordinate the grade seven year level. Okay, got it. Let's let's hone in on one of those subjects. I don't know which one you want to do first, uh, but maybe tell us which one you would talk about first. Um, and tell us a little bit about what, what your standard week of learning looks like with one of those classes. Sure. Um, it's possibly better if it's okay if I kind of synthesize all sure, um, sure. three. Um, yeah, it depends just, how different they are. Yeah, I mean, there, there are differences, but they're not different in the way that you would uh, assume. Like, you know, I, I think most people would assume that the grade 7 uh, EAL class and the grade 10 EAL class would be uh, more similar. But in fact, the um, uh, it's quite different um, just because the grade 10s are older. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got a lot more experience with the language um, of instruction. Um, so I actually find that I'm kind of... I'm kind of creating lessons and working and facilitating an online classroom in a more similar way for my grade seven Lang and Lit students, language and literature, and my grade 10 EAL students. Um, So I guess what's happening is there's a bit of a balance um, that I'm striking between the grade seven Lang and Lit, um, I guess, language abilities, and then the age and experience of the grade 10. So mm-hmm. it's kind of leveling out in my planning. Got it. Um, whereas the grade 7 EAL class is the one that definitely um, 
needs the most thinking time in terms of my planning um, and in terms of the type of support. So just to give you an overview um, of what's happening um, at my particular school, we've opted to basically convert our standard 10-day um, teaching timetable to an online timetable. Um, so uh, instead of our homeroom um, taking place after lunch or advisory, as we call it, mm -hmm. um, it's uh, happening in the morning now. So we're, we're starting the day with the pastoral care side. Um, and so that's just caused a bit of a shift in timing. But we're essentially running um, our standard 80-minute lessons five times in a 10-day cycle um, just online. So... Um, so this week I saw my grade 7 EAL class twice, my grade 7 Langenlick class twice, and my grade 10s I saw them three times and then next week it's in reverse. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, my, my teaching load is um, fairly light um, because I have two other responsibilities. I'm a grade level coordinator and I'm also part of the EAL um, and literacy support team. Um, so when I'm not teaching I'm, or planning or giving feedback, um, I'm fulfilling those uh, responsibilities. Mm -hmm. What's that morning pastoral care kind of thing look like? Uh, for me, um, it's uh, I'm on the I'm on the periphery. Um, I don't have a homeroom because I'm a, a grade level coordinator. But what it looks like for my um, advisory team uh, or my homeroom teachers is there's a check in. Um, in a Zoom um, or a Google Meet video call, um, and it's all about uh, well-being. So it's a it's a mental health uh, check-in as much as a standard academic check-in, um, and it's having the the role of a of an advisor or a, a homeroom teacher um, to connect with the students on a non-academic level. <laughs> um, and to be that constant support. So um, if I give you one of the one of the teachers in my team, as an example, um, without saying his name, I, I haven't asked him for permission, um, but he will do all sorts of funny things with his advisory, like he's got you know hand puppets, um, he wears a different wig every day, um, he's just doing what he can, um, and he's putting in a lot of effort to maintain that pastoral aspect, um, albeit in a digital mode. Mm. How long do those check-ins usually go for? 15 or so minutes. Um, I guess it's fairly flexible. Um, some some teachers may be spending 10 minutes. Um, I personally, um, I, I, I think it's beneficial to spend as long as possible in those sessions, so uh, fulfilling the full 15-minute uh, uh, check-in. Um, and it's all about really... Um, seeing you know where your students heads are at on that on that particular day waking them up even um yeah. because this is taking place at 8 15 and um between advisory and period one there's a 10 minute break so um it's you know it's it's kicking uh kicking the students into gear um just as much as it is um a, a pastoral care endeavor I sure suppose. sure do, do you um do you kind of go around the the class and have every student contribute something, and how does that look? Yeah, so every teacher um, really is in is in uh, has ownership over how they run their own advisory. 
Um, one of my uh, colleagues who happens to be my uh, husband, um, he has a, like a different question that he poses to his students every morning. And the question yesterday was, um, you know, what is your what is your greatest fear? And the um, the day before it was. Uh, where is your favorite place to travel? And the day before that was, you know, what is uh, what what are the benefits and the downfalls of traveling? Like, what's your favorite thing? What's your least favorite thing? But, like I said, uh, pastoral care and advisory looks different for for every teacher. All right. So, what's one of your stand? We'll zoom in a little bit more now. What does one of your standard classes look like? Okay, um, so every lesson for me involves using Zoom. Um, so I have the initial few minutes of getting everyone online, getting um, all the students to turn their cameras on, um, turn their microphones on, um, and it's it really has to start with um, attendance, to be completely honest, because we need to be very, um, you know, quite seriously tracking the attendance of students. Um, that's like literally how it starts. I originally started with Google Meet, um, but I, because I'm familiar with Zoom um, and because I was uh, just getting a little bit frustrated with some of the limitations of Google Meet, I've changed over to Zoom and it's been fine for the students. Um, I've switched over to that. So every lesson runs through Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to keep content delivery and instruction to a minimum. Um, and the reason for that is like our classrooms are not lectures and they shouldn't be um, turned into lectures. Um, so I try to keep the instruction to about 15 to 20 minutes maximum. That's even more than I would try, uh, you know, aim for in a, in a classroom. Um, but something that I need to be conscious of is my pacing of my speech and, and my uh, how, how quickly I talk um, because most of the time um, what the students are seeing is my screen and rather than my face. So one of those really essential elements of communication, um, the visual part, is is taken out. Mm. So things like things take much longer online than they do face-to-face. Mm. And I think that would be like the first thing that I would suggest um, or I guess the first sort of like piece of advice that I would give for, for teachers who are about to start um, is that what you think might take 10 minutes will take at least, you know, at least 50% more time than, than what you think. So, um, yeah, instruction down to 15 to 20 minutes and then um, depending on the lesson or the class, um, having the students um, kind of like all go out, do their activity, whether it's um, – on the laptop or in the, you know, in the event that I'm able to create something within my unit that doesn't involve the laptop, um, I'm trying to do that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really looks like um, lots of check-ins, lots of one-on-one feedback with students jumping in and out of the Zoom meeting. Um, yeah, and it's it's very fluid actually. So there's, there is the routine aspect in that it's, the same type of thing every day, but on one day there might be, you know, 10 students asking for feedback all at once and that's very difficult to manage um, and to facilitate because when a student jumps onto Zoom, um, 
they don't know that I'm already in a conversation with another student. They'll be like, Miss Rosie, I have a question. And I'll be like, okay, um, hold up and I'll, I'll get to you in a moment. Whereas in a classroom, a student is like a student's not going to yell out across the room while I'm already assisting somebody else. So there are little intricacies that you just have to iron out. Um, and I'm still learning what the best way to do that is. But yeah, it's, it's taking your it's it's not rocket science, right? It's taking what you do in a classroom and and just adapting it to an online format. And instead of you, um, you know, literally standing in front of your class. You're standing up at a desk um, mm. on a laptop. Mm. A few people I've spoken to today in terms of online teaching have used videos, but you sounds like you've chosen to do the live approach. Um, why have you done it that way and do you also record? Um, okay, so to answer the second part of that question first, yes, I do record. Um, not every lesson um, but I do record a lesson that involves, um, I guess, a, like a hefty amount of content. Um, so, for example, next week my grade 7 Lang and Lit class will um, be learning how to annotate poetry. Um, so as I model the annotations um, and the analysis process, I will record that. I've already done a pre-recording um just to see how long it would take me to do that. Um, and in my head, it would take 15 minutes and it took 20. Mm. And when you're in an online setting, though, that extra five minutes really um, counts. Mm. Um, to answer the first question, why am I going live? As a school, um, we decided or, or leadership decided that the live element was really important um, because there is a much, I guess, truer connection made with the students. Um, it's not a, um, you know, a pre-recorded lesson um, is uh, is taking out that like that that human connection side, I suppose. Whereas in a live setting, I can answer questions as they come. I can make jokes and and hear laughs and. I can respond to students and I can I can hear their reactions um, in real time. Whereas in a in a recorded lesson, which definitely has its benefits, especially for students who are struggling in some way, um, you know, you just you can't do that. Mm. Um, having said that, though, I am in a context where every single student owns at least three different types of device. So, um, you know, it's. I say that, but I, it is is relevant to my context and my situation, and I know that that's not the same for everyone. Good point. Why have you moved to Zoom from Google Meet? Um, I really like the Zoom breakout rooms. It basically was my deal breaker. Um, so I just discovered that Google Meet has a plug-in or an ex a Chrome extension where you can get a full grid view and have every student in um, your online classroom visible. That was something else that was kind of, a, it was a limitation with Google Meet um, before we discovered that. We only discovered that yesterday. Mm. Um, but for me personally, having the breakout rooms and having the students work in small groups, um, it can be random or I can assign students to different rooms, um, for me, is very valuable. It's much better than having four different Google Meets set up. Okay. Um, yeah. 
So when, say, next lesson, you'll be modeling this analysis task and then you'll set students on to do some analysis themselves, I would imagine. Um, yeah. How do you then collect in student work, look at it, provide feedback, do things like that? Um, I am a big advocate of Google Classroom. Um, they are not paying me to say this, um, but it is really, really powerful. Um, so if I have a... Um, if I have an independent task, I'm using Google Classroom to set the assignment and then there's a function called um, make a copy for each student mm -hmm. and basically what that does is it assigns um, an individual copy to every student and it's uh, like their name is embedded in it and I can jump into that document in real time or at any time and I can then um, provide feedback um, as students are working and I often do do that, um, or I will do that after the lesson um, when I've like got the next opportunity. So that's one way. Um, if I'm not like if a, if a task is not independent and it's collaborative instead, which often it is, and it will be next week with the grade sevens doing poetry annotations, um, I will have the sh one student in each group share a Google Doc um, with the group and with me. And then that way, um, it's not run through Google Classroom. It's just a straight Google shared doc. Um, and then it's the same thing. So, yeah, so the, there are definitely ways to provide feedback. Um, I recently discovered that Google Classroom has a comment bank, um, which makes providing individual feedback um, really, really easy because as we know, when we're giving feedback on student work, patterns emerge. And as soon as I see a pattern, I add a comment to the bank or I've already anticipated certain patterns to emerge. And then um, it's just a simple uh, type in a keyword. Um, all of the comments that I've put into the bank that have that keyword come up, I click the relevant one and it's, it's embedded in that student's document. So it's actually... Like, had we not ever gone online, I probably would never have realized that's what that little button on Google Classroom does. So apart from the comments, is there anything that you've done or started to do online that you think you're going to continue to do once you go back to the face-to-face -face classroom? Yes, I am going to be thinking very carefully about preparing lessons that are as like readable and as simple as possible because what many of us started to realize very quickly was that sometimes we would overcomplicate something in the classroom mm. and mm. when you're forced um, to do something online, um, you have to do it in a, as simple a way as possible um, because you simply don't have the time or the resources or the ability to tap a student on a shoulder um, and say, hey, you know, uh, what can I do to help? What can I do to get you started? Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's going to change my teaching forever. Um, I've, uh, this has been, and I've said it a few times to, to different people, this has been the best form of PD that I've ever done. Um, because I've learned so much um, in a very short space of time and, and I'm constantly learning. Yeah, so something that I've started to think about now with the, the different types of challenges that 
um, online teaching um, has presented is how I approach supporting the students, I guess, at the bottom of a class and extending the students at the top of a class. And here I'm really really talking about the range of abilities in my grade seven EAL or language acquisition class. Um, quite often I will, um, you know, set a set classwork and, and I don't often set homework in this class. I'll, I'll basically um, have a setup where a student who um, is uh, unable to finish something in class um, simply finishes it off for homework um, before coming into the next class. And I think that's probably a fairly standard model um, for many teachers. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but instead what I've found through having to monitor two or three um, at-risk students in my um, GLC, my grade level coordinator role, is that what we're noticing is, well, if, if um, this student is struggling in math and um, what is taking most of the class 50 minutes is taking her 80 minutes, um, then she's having to do 30 minutes work extra in that class at home or, you know, they're at home anyway, but for homework. Um, and then if that's happening across all four subjects that that student gets in a day um, and at varying levels, then that student can be doing at least two hours of work at home for homework on top of a normal day plus whatever a teacher is assigning um, for homework mm. that evening. So that could mean that that student is doing two hours of finishing off work plus X minutes of homework that have been assigned. Okay, so the school that we worked at together with the mathematics model, um, having, the, uh, having a student choose an appropriate level of um, uh, difficulty having my lessons structured more so around that model, but rather than having the students choose um, just for themselves, having me guide students to be doing certain things. And with the, with the students that I have in this particular class, if every student is able to, at a minimum, complete X activity, then I can set challenge work um, for students who um, are going to exceed that expectation. And with the types of students and the and the and the high context culture in which I work, I know that that's something that I, I could do quite easily. So it has it's really changed the way that I think about classroom teaching, instruction, classroom management, and how I even think about um, homework, for example. What's the the process of following up? You mentioned following up with some students who've kind of become disengaged. Can you can you talk us through? how that's kind of played out with students getting disengaged and then how you've tried to bring them back and whether or not that's been successful? Sure. Um, the students who are disengaged are the students who are normally disengaged. Um, I'm very fortunate that uh, career is a high-context culture um, and the the value of education is implicit. What do you it's mean not, by high-context culture? It's where certain values are implicit in the culture, where we don't have to try very hard to prove the value of um, of uh, education, for example, or we don't have to prove the value of working as hard as you can or, or putting in as much effort as you can, where we have to do in what well, you know where we often find out what we often find ourselves doing in different types of cultures. So education and um, working hard and studying is um, 
very deeply embedded in in Korean culture. Um, so we don't have many students who are disengaged academically. In fact, we sometimes have the opposite end um, of the spectrum where we have to um, kind of pull students away so that they get an appropriate break or where they know when to say, okay, this is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's what I mean. So high context culture, the value of education is very much implicit. It's deeply embedded. It's ingrained. Um, you see that in Confucian cultures quite often. Are there any activities that you've been doing in, you know, in relation to English or EAL that you think have worked particularly well in the online environment? Yeah, I have really enjoyed using um, a tool called Flipgrid. Um, Flipgrid is an online, um, like a video recording platform. I don't often use it. I don't, I don't use it very often in the classroom because I would favor face-to-face interactions um, and trying to facilitate group discussions um, more than, more than Flipgrids. Um, but what I'm finding is Flipgrid is actually helping my, um, again, my grade seven EAL students to develop a lot more confidence um, so we're uh, using Flipgrid to practice presentation skills in grade seven EAL at the moment. Um, and we're using a presentation model called PV legs or PV legs. So, um, what the students are doing, um, is they're recording these videos, um, and they're practicing their skills and then they're giving each other feedback. If I was to ask them to do that in real time, face to face, they would really struggle because there's a, a confidence barrier, there's a self-esteem barrier. So it's definitely been a benefit of, of learning online, um, being able to, I guess, capitalize on things that you normally wouldn't be able to in the classroom. So that's something that, yeah, definitely has worked well for me and I think would for many EAL teachers. Also, Flipgrid has a lot of control. Um, the videos can be made private by the, um, by the, uh, teacher at any time and they can be made public to the other students. They're never public beyond your own Flipgrid. Um, but a teacher has that control in, in determining what students can and can't see of each other. Okay. What about some standard practices that you do in the EAL classroom? Like you might read a passage or do some choral reading or I'm not I'm not sure I'm not an EAL teacher but are there any things like that that you would have done in a standard way that you've kind of had to adapt or stop doing or anything like that and, and how, how have you adapted uh yeah so we're a we're a school that highly values a deer model um so deer is a drop everything and read um and it's often a routine in many EAL classrooms or even um just any language classroom um this the first 10 minutes of any class or 15 minutes is a drop everything and read dear um session and that is very difficult i i can't do that in my um online classroom um like there's if anyone knows how to do it, I would love to know how to do it because something that we're finding difficult is um, ensuring that students are keeping up with their reading for um, for stamina and reading for enjoyment at home. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few other things as well. Um, I have a I have a note taking or an annotating strategy that's very difficult to do. Um, 
in a face-to-face setting. It is something that I tend to teach annotating as a um, just in terms of a, a standard passage of text rather than, say, poetry annotations which require a different type of thinking. Um, there's an annotation model that we use where students um, – highlight um, vocabulary they, in one colour, um, they make annotations for main ideas in another colour, and then they mark their um, connections and confusions um, any, and questions in a third colour and are constantly writing on paper. And I think that there's a real value in doing that on a piece of paper. Um, so that's not something that we're able to do in the same way. So we're trying to find ways to move around that um, or just work with different types of um, like virtual, um, not virtual whiteboards, but like um, digital annotation models, kind of like Scribble, um, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're just, they, they can't replace the value of uh, picking up a pen and doing that. Okay. Is there anything that you've still haven't quite worked out? I would say... Finding the best way to support students who are at risk, um, uh, not just academically but socially and emotionally, um, is still something that we're trying to figure out. Um, nothing can ever like nothing can ever replace the value of a face-to-face interaction in that sense. So providing like online um, counselling. Um, is something that is very difficult to do. Um, unfortunately, things like bullying, um, which are really serious issues, they don't disappear <laughs> in an online setting. Um, so just yesterday I was um, made aware of the first incident of like that you would call an online bullying incident and on Monday, I will be running my first ever online restorative practice session or like a preliminary restorative practice session to try to figure out what happened um, and then work to repair the relationship between the three students involved. So mm. that's something I don't really know anything about just yet. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Big challenges. What What are the, you know, you've talked about a few tools today. You talked about Flipgrid. um, Scribble, scribble, scribbled, something like that. Um, you talked about uh, Zoom and, and Google Hangouts. You talked about Google Classroom. Are there any other, other tools that you found particularly helpful? Um, I would say that Google Classroom, Zoom, um, or I guess anything that is involved in Google Classroom, so the, the entire G Suite of products, so um, being able to use your docs, your sheets, your slides, etc., cetera, um, within Google Classroom is very powerful. Um Yeah, Zoom for conferencing, Flipgrid for um, communication. Um, Padlet has been really good um, as a blank canvas type of tool. Um, However, I'm a little bit like wary of recommending it because currently they're not um, offering premium access in goodwill like many other online tools are. Um, So it's quite limited because uh, you can only have three um, Padlet boards on the on the complimentary access, and mm. I don't think anyone is in a place right now where they can afford um, or have the resources to make purchases in this situation. Um, I came uh, at one of our colleagues came across a tool called GoFormative. Um, I haven't used it yet, but I've checked it out. 
um, colleagues have used it and it's, uh, it seems to be really powerful. Um, it's a formative assessment tool and it seems to be very flexible in terms of setting up questions and different types of um, formative activities. Um, yeah, but I would say, yeah, Google Classroom, Zoom, Flipgrid have been the most powerful for me. Fantastic. And any final words of advice for teachers or anything you'd like to impart? Um, I would say now is not the time to reinvent the wheel. If that's like my number one thing, um, try not to experiment with too many different platforms and tools. Um, I would say that both for yourself and your students, creating as much a sense of normalcy is crucial. Um, I guess, you know, the more you try to experiment with different tools and platforms, the more work you create for yourself. But also thinking about if you've got all these different platforms and tools running, um, it means the students need to be able to use them. So if they're using four or five different tools in, in your class and they are in, you know, their, their six or seven other subjects, however many subjects they have, then that's a lot of um, energy um, for a student. Um, and it's and it's it's not easy. Um, so, yeah, I would say try not to reinvent the wheel. Um, be kind to yourself. Know that, like, there are going to be lots of failures. Um, we're only in week three um, uh, right now. Um and there will be lots of things that don't work. There are lots of things that don't work. Um, so just like be kind to yourself. Um, I would say that like now more than ever, the social and emotional well-being of students and teachers is like of paramount importance. But I would say that at any time, um, like the, I think it is even more important than the academic side right now um, because we are in the midst of something that I'm not going to use the UNP word that is being thrown around all the time. Um, like, be kind and be patient and um, know that um, it's really, really hard for teachers and students to work in this way. It, it can be quite isolating. I think that's something else to, to be aware of as well. Um, my school, we're currently working on campus because of our situation. Um, it allows us to. Um, there are many pros and there are many cons to working on campus. Um, one would think that it would allow for a lot more collaboration. Um, but when you're, um, you know, three periods out of four on in a day, um, you're in front of a laptop the entire time. Mm. And um, in between those periods or, or lessons, um there's not that much time to go and say hi to someone. Um, so sometimes you could spend an entire day on your own, especially if you're socially distancing and you're not going to, to lunch with anybody and you're eating in your own classroom. Mm. So um, it, it can be quite isolating. So self-care is, is, is so important. And it's if it's isolating for you, it's also isolating for the students at home as well. So maintaining human connection as much as possible is like that's the most important thing right now. Great advice. Where can people go if they want to hear more from Bianca or get in touch? Um, I'm 
not very active on social media in that way. Um, have LinkedIn, um, so just my name, um, uh, searching for Bianca Luruzzi on LinkedIn, but I'm, I'm not very active. Um, I'm part of a, a Facebook group called uh, People Who Like to Talk About Teaching, and that's probably, yeah, the best place um, to get in touch. Fantastic. We'll put a, we'll put a link to that. Bianca Lirossi, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have the opportunity to speak um, with an EAL teacher and, and also to have a chat with someone who's about at the three-week mark. So I've had the opportunity to speak with people who are eight weeks in, no weeks in at the moment. So it's really great to, to get that more full picture of the full spectrum. Some great advice there at the end, especially about being kind and looking after ourselves uh, in these challenging times um, and some fantastic resources and you know, PV legs and deer and different ideas about EAL in particular there. So thanks so much for your time today, Bianca. Thank you, Ollie. It was great to chat with you. If you enjoyed this chapter of the ERRR podcast online education special, please share it with friends and colleagues. And please consider supporting the ongoing production of the ERRR podcast at patreon.com forward slash ERRR. Signing up as a patron helps to communicate to me the value that listeners are receiving from the podcast and helps to keep the production of the podcast financially sustainable into the future. That's patreon.com forward slash ERRR. I hope that you enjoy the rest of this education special.